0: Last week, Blake Johnson, the pastor of our sister church in Crozet, Church of the Holy Cross, preached a sermon from 2 Peter chapter 1 on virtue, the godly habits that we should be growing into as Christians, and how the central thing we must do after we believe in Jesus is to allow him to transform our character from the ground up. And this week, I'd like to build on that sermon. But I'd like to do that by focusing our attention on just one virtue. And that's the virtue of gratitude. The great Roman statesman and orator, Cicero, referred to gratitude as the queen of the virtues. And the Bible agrees. You may have gathered that from our psalm this morning, Psalm 100. If you have a Bible, please turn there with me. It's right in the middle, after Job, before Proverbs. Psalm 100 is a processional psalm. It's a song that the people of Israel would sing as they entered the temple. God had invited them to worship him. But how did he want them to arrive? Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Gratitude is the essence Of worship. It's the essence of worship. It's what makes it what it is. And if worship. Is the most important thing that we do. The highest calling God gives us to do. Then gratitude is the defining mark. Of the Christian life. It's what makes it what it is. It's our fundamental stance, not just toward God, but toward the whole world, toward everything that God has given to us as a sheer gift. That's what this little psalm is telling us. And as we look a little bit closer at it this morning, I want us to see three things. I want us to see why we need gratitude, what gratitude is. And how gratitude changes us. Why we need it, what it is, and how it changes us. First, why we need gratitude. As I said, this psalm is a processional psalm. It's God inviting his people to worship him. And it's built on seven commands that are pretty easy to spot and kind of fun. Verses 1 and 2. Make, serve, and come. You're just going right down the left column. Verse 3, know. Verse 4, enter, give thanks, and bless. Now, seven commands. That's an important number in Hebrew poetry. It communicates fullness, completion, perfection. And as is often the case, the key to understanding the seven in biblical literature is in the middle, is in the fourth. In this case, verse three, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. But I want you to see something. You might have already seen it. Immediately after that line is a reference to a footnote, which says, at least in my Bible, or, and not we ourselves. As in, it is he who made us, and not we ourselves. It's an alternate rendering of the verse. And that doesn't have to throw us off about which rendering is original. I happen to believe the main text is the original. But it does give us a hint At why this psalm was written, why this summons to gratitude was ever needed in the first place. And it's because we forget that life is a gift, that our entire existence is contingent on the generosity of God. That every breath we take is a yes or no question for him. That everything we enjoy from the pleasure of a morning bike ride to the taste of nearly everything made by Jacob (laughs) Napotnik. That it all comes from this rich bounty of a father who is absolutely loaded with power and goodness and beauty and is head over heels in love with every one of us it is he who made us and not we ourselves this goes all the way back to the garden doesn't it the first sin ever committed was the sin of ingratitude It's not that Adam merely wanted more. We all want more of something from time to time. And I wouldn't dare say otherwise so close to Thanksgiving. But that Adam developed this profoundly broken sense of entitlement. A sort of primal instinct that saw nothing as forbidden, nothing as sacred and everything for the taking. And we all know what that's like, don't we? Our nation runs on rights. And we now live in a culture where the large majority of our citizenry think that they are entitled to all sorts of things beyond life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everyone is entitled I'm entitled to being successful. I'm entitled to a promotion. I'm entitled to an A on my report card. I'm entitled to a day off. I'm entitled to just one morning of peace and quiet. And all these things are understandable enough. But when the root of these desires comes from this dark sense of entitlement, things eventually become out of control. So now I'm entitled to the company credit card. I'm entitled to a third, fourth glass of wine. I'm entitled to that text message I just received. I'm entitled to sex whenever, however, and with whomever I want. I'm entitled to power and to the respect of my family and my spouse. this, This sense of entitlement, where does it ultimately lead us? Well, it actually chips away bit by bit. At our ability to enjoy the things God made for us. When we cheapen sex. It eventually loses its pleasure. When we binge drink. The wine loses its taste. When we crave power, even when we make it to the top. We just can't seem to enjoy the view. This is the very thing God warned Israel about in Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you like, turn there with me Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen to these instructions that Moses gives to the people of Israel as they're about to take the promised land. Verse 11 Be careful. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now jump down to verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them. I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Now this destruction... Is it the threat of a God who is furious? Or is this another instance of God's wrath being built and hardwired into creation so that the proverb, pride goes before the fall, actually plays out? That forgetfulness and a sense of entitlement always comes before destruction. The world is God's gift to us. He's the one behind every good and perfect gift. And if we're ever going to enjoy his gifts, we need to change our perspective, to change our stance toward everything. Fundamentally, more than anything else, we must be grateful. So that's our deep need. That's the brokenness in each of us that this psalm is speaking to. It's our idolatry of ingratitude. But now that, we know that, now that we know why we need gratitude, let's ask our next question. Namely, what is gratitude? But first, what it's not. Gratitude is not mere lip service. Or saying thank you. Not that lip service is bad. My family is in thank you boot camp right now. We have a daughter who's almost four and a daughter who's two. And a four-month-old who was completely thankless. (laughs) And Mary Elizabeth and I are constantly reminding our girls to say thank you. And of course, we'll continue to remind them until they grow up to become mature adults like us. Who say thank you incessantly, whether we feel the smallest twinge of gratitude or not. So we close emails with it, saying it at the grocery checkout line, or my favorite, saying it after receiving the communion bread. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, it's not that lip service is wrong. Or that it can't remind us to be grateful. It's just that it doesn't have the power to actually make us into grateful people. Next, gratitude is not mere appreciation. We've all been the recipients of a gift we don't necessarily want. The hideous handmade Christmas sweater from grandma with the iron-on family portrait. Do we say thank you for that? Absolutely. (laughs) Do we appreciate her hard work? Yes. A million times yes. But are we grateful? Not exactly. And that's because gratitude is not a courtesy. It's something inspiring that wells up inside of us. We might rightly call it warm fuzzies. To the point of overflowing and simply must be expressed. That expression is the consummation of our joy and gratitude. That's why we're always telling people how excited we are about something. Appreciation just falls massively short of that. One more. Gratitude is not indebtedness. It's not indebtedness. Those of you with student loans can understand this one. You can be grateful for your college education, but feel crushed under the weight of that financial obligation. It's not a pleasure to be financially in someone's debt. Now, that doesn't mean that all obligation is pain. Think of the princess bride. Wesley is Buttercup's servant. He's in a relationship of indebtedness to her, and yet this fosters his love. So he responds to her every request with the phrase, as you wish. Husbands, take note. (laughs) It's a pleasure for Wesley to be in Buttercup's debt, but it's a debt of love. It's not a debt of bondage. So then, what is gratitude? Well, there's something clearly, deeply personal about it, isn't there? Isn't that the main thing that these other three concepts lack? Lip service, appreciation, indebtedness. None of these binds you, at least in a good way, to the other person. Well, again, we need to return to our psalm and look at the key, the center of these seven commands. But let's start at the top. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with, with singing. And now, verse three, the key, know that the Lord, he is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. This is the essence of gratitude. It's knowing God. And not just intellectually by reading a book or even saying the creed. No, it's a personal relationship. A deep-seated acknowledgement that everything good in your life My accomplishments, my possessions, qualities, my job, my wife and children. Everything comes from someone else. Someone outside of myself. Someone who owes me nothing but gives me everything out of pure generosity. Gratitude is what the Catholic theologian G.K. Chesterton defined as happiness doubled by wonder, happiness doubled by wonder. And if this is what gratitude is, if gratitude is an inescapable sense of wonder and knowledge of the generosity of God, then could it not be that Christianity is the way to experiencing it? You see, at the heart of Christianity is this paradox of human nature. On the one hand, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Powerless, deserving absolutely nothing. But on the other hand, and at the very same time, we are more loved, more accepted, and more welcomed in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You have to have both. You have to have both. It's the only way to have gratitude while also doing justice to the complexity of human nature. If you have just a crummy view of yourself and think you're nothing but an oxygen-sucking, undeserving wretch then you'll never be able to enjoy any of God's gifts. You'll be too distracted by your own insufficiencies and failures. And if you have a blindly positive um, and congratulating view of yourself, then you'll walk around with this enormous sense of entitlement and all the wonder in life will be taken away. But if you have both, You have both. If deep within the fabric of your being is this knowledge that Jesus, your creator, the one who provides for you, your king, knows your brokenness but loves you anyway. And with a relentless, inexhaustible love that ultimately sent him to the cross and cost him his own life, then gratitude ends up infusing Every nook and cranny of your life. Our New Testament passage inspired us in this right out of the gate. Thanks, Nate, for the change. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that condemnation, it's not just talking about this eternal, ominous penalty. It's talking about all the shame and guilt and worthlessness that gets in the way of our relationship with God. When we learn to read the story of Jesus and see it as a story of the love of God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, that insight produces again and again a sense of astonished gratitude, which is right at the heart of Christian experience. It's gratitude that views everything in creation as a gift. A good gift from God that he wants us to receive and enjoy. And that leads us to our last question. We've seen why we need gratitude. We've learned what gratitude is. Now let's think just for a moment about its effect. Let's imagine How living deeply into gratitude and entering into a psalm like Psalm 100 actually changes us. And what we immediately see is that Thanksgiving is the liturgy of Christian living. It's the continuous sacrifice that God wants us to offer. Just look at the language that fills this psalm. Joyful noise, gladness, singing, blessing. These are the marks of a grateful people. So, how does gratitude change us? I want to give us three ways. First, gratitude binds us together in community. Verse one make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. It's invitational. All the earth is to come together. Martin Luther had this phrase that he used to describe the default mode of the human heart, called it incurvatus in se, curved in on oneself. And I think of the iPhone, you know, the one that just rang a moment ago, and how we're always hunched over it, we're always absorbed. We have this insatiable desire for more, more emails, more texts, more news, more videos. But gratitude, what it does is it pulls us out of that complex. Notice everything in this psalm is directed upward and outward. Toward God, toward others. Our culture doesn't need this chiropractor To fix this iPhone problem, it needs a new posture of gratitude. One that doesn't look down and in so much. We live in a society that is built on me rather than us. But this psalm tells us that a grateful life is one that is God-oriented and others-oriented, not self-oriented. Second, gratitude brings gladness to our work. In verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. That word for serve is a word that simultaneously means work and worship. It means to do everything before the presence of God. So students, is this how your friends would describe you? Mothers, fathers, is this how your children would describe your attitude throughout the entire day? Would they say that mom serves the Lord with gladness? Would they say that dad is almost always humming or singing as he does his work? The thing is, it's difficult to be sad when you're singing, when you're humming or whistling. And this is something that we need to be reminded of, that all of our work is before the presence of God. It's something to be very glad about. It's a gift. Our work is not meaningless. This is work for the kingdom. We're working for the king. We're waking up and going to our vocations in service of the king. And so we sing. It's it's a joy to participate in this. And third, gratitude creates and sustains A joyful church creates and sustains a joyful church. And I want to encourage us in this. I first visited Incarnation almost two years ago, in January 2016, and what so enthralled me was the exuberance of the worship. Make a joyful noise? Are you kidding me? I don't believe I'd ever been to a church that sang as loud. Gladness? I mean, Joetta Deaton prays scripted prayers with her while smiling. Is that even possible, I thought? Am I embarrassing you, Joetta? No one look at Joetta when she's praying. <laughs> is this kind of joy possible? It is. We've seen it. And it still is. By God's grace, we have been a church, apparently from day one, That has been filled with the spirit of gratitude. We've been a joyful church, a church, a church that takes celebration so seriously that it's been said before that it's it's, um, always Easter and never Lent. This is where we've been for seven years. And people like me who've jumped on late, we're so almost unspeakably thankful for the way God has blessed us. And here's the thing. We never, ever need to forget God's gift of joy. That gladness, that giddiness of the first seven years. In fact, this psalm is commanding us not to do that. Ingratitude begins with forgetting the gifts of God. But this psalm also compels us to move into the future as foggy as it might seem with a deep commitment to each other, with confidence, with loud praises and singing to the God who is continually with us. Verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness continues to all generations. As I read that verse this week, I could not help but think about our church. Here we are, moving into a next generation of our church's life together. What's going to sustain our joyful noise? It's that the Lord is good, that He's faithful. And if, look what He's done, people have seen our gratitude and they've joined with us. And if we're going to move into the future with that same momentum, with that same spirit of gratitude, we have to remember God's faithfulness, God's love, God's goodness that made us sing so loudly in the first place. With God's help, we'll do that. We'll celebrate in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.